Do you need a landscaping job tackled? Keen Landscaping is a family-owned and operated full-service landscaping company based in Dallas, Texas. Anything from property restoration and tree pruning or removal to landscape design, construction, and installation, Keen covers it all. They're also the official landscape company of the Dallas Stars. Learn more at KeenLandscaping.com. Again, that's K-E-A-N-E Landscaping.com. Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keen, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now here's your host, Parker Keen. Billy, we're back. Let's go. We got uh end of the year show upon us, episode 58. We've been pumping them out in 2020. Uh, this is our wrap-up show, and we're going to cover UFC 256 that went down, uh, was that two weeks ago now? Or two last weeks weekend? ago, yep. Yeah, two weekends ago. And we'll talk a little bit about last weekend's card, and then we're going to recap the best of the best of 2020. So, back in action this week, Parker's MMA show. I'm Parker. There's Billy. Billy, let's get right into it. Um, all right, let's start with UFC 256. Charles Dubronx Oliveira absolutely dominated Tony Ferguson and cruised to a decision, a unanimous decision on all three scorecards, 30-26 across the board. Billy, what would you make of his performance? I think Dobronx, I mean, this is a guy to me who was a prodigy, who was in the UFC at age 20. I mean, you know, he's he's had a dozen fights at featherweight. He's had a dozen fights at lightweight. I, I think this is a guy who's finally arrived. I mean, no, nobody has ever dominated Tony Ferguson on the ground like that. And Doe Bronx made it look relatively easy. And that, to me, is is evidence of a guy who at 31 years old now, who's kind of been around the block in the UFC after coming in very, very early on in his athletic career. I think he has finally arrived. I think he's a complete product, finished product. And I think he's very ready to challenge for the title in that division. I agree. I think this is a guy that you and I have both talked about forever that is criminally, criminally underrated, especially the last couple of years. He just kind of flies under the radar uh, while he's quietly, you know, pretty much finishing every fight he's in. And to do that to Tony Ferguson, a guy that went on probably one of the best runs in lightweight history, um, it was it was crazy. It was I, I watching it live. I couldn't believe it was actually happening. It was just like. Tony Ferguson has no answer for this dude, period. And you've never seen that from Tony Ferguson. So um, I totally agree with you. Is this a guy that's been hanging around forever, been around in the UFC forever? And I think now he's hitting his stride and he's ready to make a run at that title. Um, All right, so Billy, let's move to Tony. So for Tony Ferguson, obviously two back-to-back losses, both honestly in dominant fashion. You know, one, he just got outstruck and, damaged and took a lot of punishment from Justin Gagey and then he pretty much gets controlled and dominated on the ground from Charles Oliveira so for Tony Ferguson do you think the near the end is near yeah I do I I I hate to say it because I think we've talked a lot about it over the years here like Tony Ferguson is a guy who's an extremely unique fighter right and that's what makes him so special to watch as a fan is like there's nobody like him there's nobody with his skill set. There's no next Tony Ferguson coming. It's it's a question of, 
you know, kind of when when does all the damage, when does all the uh, all the wars catch up with him? And it seems to be happening. Like to me, he looks a step slow. And in a quick twitch sport like this, where your reaction time is everything, you can't be a step slow. And that's the way Tony looks to me. And uh, I, I'm ve- I'm honestly very worried about kind of how he finishes his career. I agree. I, with Tony, I think his next fight is going to be his real crossroads fight. You know, Tony's not a guy that's going to sit on the bench and not fight and take some time off, which I think personally he should do. You know, he went on a huge run where he was very active and he took a lot of damage in those fights. And Tony is a guy, if you just cut through the bullshit and kind of say, what what does Tony Ferguson do? He takes a lot of damage. You know, he takes a lot of damage, but he prides himself on being able to take that damage and outlast you and then eventually wear you out with his cardio and and finish you. And that's kind of how he's built a career. You know, and there's a lot more nuances and stuff to it. But in a nutshell, that's pretty much what it is. And that fighting style is not going to hold up. It's not going to age well in the UFC. You know, it's not the Alistair Overeem approach where you're continually reinventing yourself. No, it's like Tony Ferguson's been doing the same thing for 10 years. And at 37 years old... Man, with all the damage he takes, eventually that's that's going to come to an end and it's going to fade. And this happens so much in this sport. It's like one day your favorite fighter is, you know, kicking everyone's ass with this style. And then the next day it just doesn't work. You know, the game passes you up and you don't evolve. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing with Tony. Um, you know, but it's just the reality of the sport. And, and that's where we're at. So um, what what would you like to see? You know, if Tony decides to turn around here in the next three months, what would you like to see differently from him in his camp? I mean, honestly, I'd like to see him do like almost like a residency at one of these big MMA camps, right? Like, I think Eddie Bravo and Tony Ferguson kind of training on his own has been great up until this point. I would, I would like to see him get something that's a little more regimented where he has a little bit more of kind of known quantities as sparring partners and just get something that feels a little more normal for what the MMA game looks like today. Um, I, I don't know if, I, I don't know if this is a fixable problem for Tony though, because I feel like the athleticism has just dwindled and the chin has just dwindled. And that's what happens when you get to be 37 years old in this game. And I, I I don't know that there really is a fix for what's ailing Tony Ferguson, to be honest. Yeah, sadly, I, I kind of agree. I, I think getting back, I think it's been, uh, what, two two fight camps? He's been away from Eddie Bravo and his old head coach, Richard Holloway. Um, and he's kind of been doing his own thing with his Snapdown Academy or, you know, whatever. Um, I, I think Tony is a guy that, Yes, he's weird. Yes, he's going to do his own thing. Yes, he has unorthodox training, but he does need that structure. He needs someone to tell him, like, hey, Tony, you're taking a lot of damage. we got to change some things up here and and reinvent yourself, change your style a little bit. And I don't think he's getting that. I think he's he runs the camp. He runs the show. He runs his career. And, and that's going to get him hurt, and it's not going to end well. So I, I would like to see some serious changes before he comes back to fight. Um, so that brings me into my next question, Billy. Where do you think Tony Ferguson goes from here? 
I, I like the Paul Felder fight. I, I think it's two guys who are in kind of that same age range. I think they're some of the guys who are probably the top five for their kind of generation of UFC fighter. And um, it, it's a guy. It's two guys who I think are both kind of at that crossroads of are they still in the elite of the division or is it kind of maybe time to hang up the gloves? And so I think that's a perfect fight for Tony Ferguson right now. And I think that's a perfect fight for Paul Felder. You know, if both of those guys want to fight. Because Paul Felder's a guy, he's kind of done it all. And I think he's looking for big money, you know, kind of big name fights. And that's it. And I think Tony Ferguson is the guy he would definitely get up for, obviously. Um, for me, I'd like to see Tony take some time off. I, I don't need to see him fight in the next six to eight months. Um, I'd like to see him take some time off, kind of regroup, get a team around him that's going to, you know, get him doing the right things and try to reinvent himself a little bit. Cause I, I think Tony is a guy, he's, he's a freak, an absolute freak show, you know, physically, mentally, everything. And I think he's a guy that if he had a little direction could reinvent himself and make a run, you know, later in his career. Cause he's just, he's got, a, a lot of special stuff that no one has. And I think he could put together a game plan that could get him some wins at the top level. Still, even still, you know, although he hasn't looked great in his last two fights, this is not, to me, this is not like Tyron Woodley. Like I don't feel the same about Tony Ferguson as I do watching Tyron Woodley. I watch Woodley and I'm like, that's a fighter that's shot and doesn't want to be there. Period. I think Tony Ferguson still has, some in the mental department to give in obviously physically i think he can still get it done with the right guidance um okay for charles where do you think he goes from here billy it's got to be a title shot i i i'm i'm sick of advocating for this guy right i mean i i i think we have both been on here banging the drum uh for multiple years now i mean as long as we've been doing this show, I feel like we've been talking about Charles Oliveira as a dark horse in this division. He's not a dark horse anymore. Like, this is a legitimate contender for the lightweight title. Uh, I, he needs to fight for a title shot next. Yeah, it was weird. It was like almost a kind of passing, passing up the torch. I felt, watching Charles the last year, I kind of felt like I felt watching Tony Ferguson when he was on his run. It was, it was weird. It was like Tony passing the torch to Charles is like the next kind of weird, I don't know, people kind of sleep on dark horse of the division. That, that's what I felt like Tony was looked at for a long time. But, I mean, I when I think of it now and I look at the top five and I'm like, who's the best matchup for Khabib? It's Charles Oliveira, 100%. Out of all those guys, Gaethje, Connor, Chandler, Dan Hooker, all of them. Um, all of them. Yeah. So that, that's what I think about him. I and I agree. I think whoever's going to fight for the title next, whether it be you know Dustin or Connor or whatever, if that's an actual title fight, I think I agree. Charles deserves the next title fight. Um. So great performance from him all around. Very very impressive. Um. All right. Let's move on to the flyweights. Let's talk about some little guys, Billy. Uh, you and I. Call this. So this is going to be a crazy war, and it definitely delivered on all fronts. So um, our guy, Devison Figueredo, the god of war, and Brandon Moreno absolutely go to war, duke it out, um, fight of the year contender. 
for the flyweight titles, put the flyweights back on the map if they weren't already from what God of War had been doing. Um, Billy, this is an awesome fight. What were your What were your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I think we we called this. I mean, a hundred percent in our in our preview of this card, but. Um, I mean, still super impressed by Brandon Moreno's chin. I mean, he took some absolute shots in that fight and just kept kept ticking, kept going forward. Um, I I still have questions about Figueredo's gas tank. I thought he didn't look great in the latter rounds there. I thought he started to slow down a bit, but I also think if he had taken advantage early, he could have ended that fight. So, um. I'm I'm just I'm very excited for a rematch. I'm very excited to have a flyweight title that feels like it means something again. Um, this fight was awesome, uh, and I, I I'm hats off to both of these guys because it was a very impressive performance on on both of their parts. Yeah, this was just one of those fights where no one is losing stock, you know, anywhere. This fight deserves an immediate rematch, I think, um, and apparently Figgy was in the hospital twice in the 24 hours leading up to the, to the fight, which is crazy. Um, you know, so maybe that had something to do with his gas tank. And I, I do think moving forward, he's, he's just a huge guy. I mean, he's absolutely shredded at 125, not an ounce of fat on him. I don't think that's sustainable. I think we will see him move up to 135, but while it lasts, these two fighting at 125 is awesome. I mean, sign me up for this. Whenever they have to fight again, and and then you know I I think you know about, uh, you and I have talked about it before. I think eventually Cody Garbrandt will come down there, but um, I don't want to see anything else at flyweight besides these guys fighting again. So awesome fight, probably one of the top five fights of the year in a a year that had a ton of crazy fights, and we'll get to that later. But um, do you agree with the decision on the low blow? Um, the low blow, they took a point away from Figgy, and that basically. Made it a draw. He would have cruised, not cruised to a decision, but he would have won a decision without that point being taken away. So do you have any issues with that? No, I thought that was absolutely the right call. I would actually like to see referees uh, go with uh, Jason Herzog's lead there and take a point more often in that situation because I, I thought very clearly it was, you know, I, I don't mean that, like, I don't want to say that Figueredo, you know, had a low blow intentionally, but... It's as close to intentional as you're ever going to be able to spot from a referee's perspective. I mean, it was clear as day. There was no, like, sudden movement or anything like that. So I'm totally fine with him taking a point for the low blow. And I would actually like fighters to be more careful about that. So I would be fine about more referees taking more points in the future. Yeah, um, in the moment, I thought it was a little... A little drastic um but i i tend to agree with you after sitting back and thinking on it it's like yeah in a fight like that a five-round war something like that could totally change the course of the fight so i looking back at it i don't have a problem with it in the moment i was like oh that's a little aggressive um but you see it end up being a big factor in the fight so i agree i think the fighters maybe need to just be a little more careful with it um but yeah i didn't have that big of a problem with it so um all right, so were you surprised with Brandon Marino's ability to hang with the guy um, that has that kind of power at 125 and Figgy? 
I mean, honestly, a little bit, right? Like we both talked about how Brandon Moreno is a game game contender. He's a game fighter. He's got a good chin, but I mean, we both think Figueredo kind of has otherworldly power at 125. And he took his best shots. I mean, you can't sit there and tell me that Brandon Moreno didn't take Davison Figueredo's absolute hardest power punches. Like he did. He took him on the chin and he kept moving forward. So, I mean, hats off to him. I was really impressed by that, honestly. And, like, I, I think that is something that needs to get talked about more when we talk about Brandon Moreno is he's just a tough, tough guy. And that is going to make the difference for a guy like him who has such good wrestling. Yeah, I, I expected that kind of fight from him. I just thought he was a warrior and he's he was gonna walk through you know some of those big bombs early but to do it over five rounds that was super impressive and i don't know what what impact the weight cut has on figueredo like maybe if he goes to 135 is he more powerful you know in his natural weight it's it's one of those things it's like we'll see as his career progresses um but that was awesome that was just an awesome fight and awesome performance by moreno he established himself as like that's a clear-cut number one contender, period, at 125. Um, all right, so do you think the UFC needs to book an immediate rematch for these guys? And if not, I, I really don't see anything else. But if if they don't, what else could they do? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think immediate rematch is a no-brainer. The only other way I could see that happening is if Henry Cejudo somehow wanted to come out of retirement and fight Davis and Figueredo. I think that would probably throw a monkey wrench in the rematch plans. But other than that, I think a rematch is the obvious choice. Yeah, I don't see Henry coming back at 125. I think if he comes back, he's going to jump back in the mix at 135. There's just a lot bigger fights there and a lot more the UFC could do with throwing him in the mix. Um, So, yeah, 100%. I, I think the next fight for these two guys is the rematch. And I think the winner will get Cody No Love maybe sometime in the summer. So, um, yeah, be on the lookout for the flyweights. That was an awesome fight. Like I said, probably top five of the year. If you haven't seen it, go back and check it out. It was absolutely awesome. Um, All right, Billy, let's talk a little bit about the rest of the card. Any other fights or fighters on here that stood out to you? Yeah, one for me that has kind of become a must-watch fighter is Rafael Faziv. I mean, I just... Lays an unreal kickboxing combination uh, to knock out Hinata Moicano. I mean, that guy is just, it's so technical, but it's so exciting. I'm, I I have to, you know, I have to watch him whenever he's fighting. So I I really loved watching that guy. How about you? Yeah, I agree. That knockout, that combination was so vicious to put Moicano away. Uh, For me, it's Kevin Holland. That, That dude... He just, anytime he's on the TV, he's got my eyes. Um, to go in there and basically knock out Jacare Souza, who is one of the best middleweights in UFC history, off his ass was unbelievable. And to just, he basically just accepted a jiu-jitsu grappling fight with Jacare, which is crazy, and then knocks him out in a scramble. It's like, what the fuck? This guy just keeps getting better and better. And this is the guy that's going to be in your top 10 in that division, you know, at the turn of the year. And there's only big fights from from now on with him. So keep an eye on for Kevin Holland, local guy. That's just he had a great year. If if he had one or two, you know, higher profile fights, I would think he's hands down your fighter of the year. 
but um, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, great year for Hall- for Kevin Holland and a great way to finish it, you know, with a big statement win against Jacare. So um, for you, whose stock rose most uh, after this card? I think it's got to be Cyril Gane, right? I mean, we've seen in this heavyweight division, like, you know, if you break into that top 15, top 10 fighters, like, you could stay there for a decade because there's just not a ton of talent at heavyweight. And and you're also, Gane, what, one fight away, one to two fights away from a title shot, like, at all times? Right. So, like, Cyril Gane yeah. knocks out Junior Dos Santos, like, he basically set himself up with a career in the UFC for the next 10 years, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. So how can you not say that guy's stock is up? Yeah. Uh, no, I totally agree. Uh, mine was Charles Oliveira. It's like, I think you and I know how good he is or knew how good he was, but to go out there in front of the world and just absolutely dominate one of the best fighters of our generation, one of the best lightweights of all time and Tony Ferguson – and uh, Tony Ferguson just had no, nothing, nothing, period, for Charles. The entire fight. Never once was Charles Oliveira in danger. And you just don't see that ever in Tony Ferguson fights. So um, that was my, like, number one given. My second one's Kevin Holland. It's just like this dude just keeps doing crazy shit. Um, between him and Kaz- Kazmat, how the fuck you say his name? Kazmat Shemaev. Kazmat Shemaev. Uh, those two guys have just been on a crazy upward trajectory this year. And I, I think those are probably two of your biggest superstars during the COVID era. And um, I'm going to look for a lot of big things out of those guys, but Kevin Holland getting another big win there at middleweight was huge. Um, all right. For you, whose stock is down the most? It's got to be junior dos Santos. I mean, you look around at the UFC and the type of guys they're cutting where it's like, you know, veterans, expensive, a lot of former champion types. I mean, Junior Dos Santos is now four straight knockouts and uh, close to 40. I mean, this guy is probably going to get cut by the UFC. So uh, I think that's that's really a tough look. And, uh, you know, a guy who is probably the best boxer we've ever seen at heavyweight in the UFC. Um, you know, it'll be sad to see him go for me. Yeah, for me it was Tony Ferguson. Um, after going on a you know what eight year span of twelve fights in a row at the best division in MMA, to suffer two back to back losses in dominant fashion. You're 37 years old. Um, we covered it. You know, there's a lot of we don't know if this could be fixed at this point. Uh, that's a tough loss for Tony Ferguson at this stage in his in his career with how on fire his division is right now to take a two back-to-back dominant losses that's probably going to put you you know at number five number six and all the guys below you are matched up with fights so i mean you're two to three fights away from getting a title shot again you know that's just not a good loss for tony ferguson so i i think that was kind of a big uh big kick in the nuts for him there but um all right so that was that for that card let's move on um this last weekend's card, we had Stephen Wonderboy Thompson back in action after a decent layoff, um, taking on Jeff Neal. Um, he Wonderboy cruises to a dominant decision over Jeff Neal, who is another guy that you and I think are kind of is a dark horse or kind of underrated fighter on the roster. Uh, what did you make of that fight? 
Yeah, I I was super impressed with Wonder Boy. I I'm I'm starting to think kind of the only way to beat Wonder Boy is the wrestling game plan like Woodley did in their first fight, or uh, basically get lucky like Anthony Pettis because I think as a boxer Jeff Neal is as good as it gets in the welterweight division, and he looked completely overmatched to me. I mean. It's it's not only that Wonder Boy is so fast and so precise with his striking, he's so unique in his timing, in his style, and the angles that he takes. Like it's so hard to train for that. I I think he's just able to kind of stay elite in this welterweight division even as he gets older. I agree. He just has a style that ages well. I I think you know he's. A master at not taking damage. You know, he took maybe one or two big shots from Jeff Neal. Outside of that, I mean, he's he's slipping and rolling and rolling with the punches. You know, diving out of the way, cutting angles. Um, he's just so hard to to hit and hurt. And then he's just so hard to figure out. It's like, you know, it takes probably three rounds to figure him out. And then once you do that, you know, he's up three rounds, and then you have to finish him. And he's he's not an easy guy to finish, so I agree. I I thought Wonder Boy looks very very sharp. You know, he got knocked out by Pettis what two fights ago. He comes back, has that war with Vicente Luque, and then I mean, pretty much picks Jeff Neal apart here. Um, so very very impressive look for Wonder Boy, and I agree. I you know it's hard to deny that he's a top five fighter right now, still at his age. You know, after all these years, so. Um, for Jeff Neal, this is a guy that you and I have been very, very high on. Um, there's complaints after the loss that you know he couldn't see out of one eye for four rounds. Um, we obviously know all of his, I think his whole coaching staff from Fortis MMA was out because of COVID. Um, what are you making of those reports from the Jeff Neal corner, and do you, what do you think that did to affect his performance? Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're leg- it's legitimate from Jeff Neal, right? Like, if you can't see, it's hard to fight. If you don't have your coaches, it's hard to fight. Like, I, I'm with him on that. I just don't think that that made the difference, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I, I just don't, I don't know that there's, like, even if Jeff Neal had a perfect training camp and the fight went perfectly, I, I don't see how he beats Wonder Boy skill for skill right now. And that's what I kind of took away from it, where it was like, yeah, that might be true, where you couldn't see and you had you had your coaches missing. But at the end of the day, like, I just think Wonder Boy is the better fighter. And, like, that's, that's kind of my takeaway from Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal's claims, excuse me. Yeah, I agree. I, I think on that night, I just don't think he was ever beating Wonder Boy. Wonder Boy seemed so sharp, so confident. Um, he just seemed levels above Jeff Neal in the striking department. So, um, I you know I buy the eye. You know, imagine fighting Wonder Boy Thompson with one eye. Imagine fighting him with two eyes. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, um, shit's coming from all angles. You got one eye. It's not a good recipe fighting Wonder Boy. And then the coach, um, you know. You have to say the name. Saif. Saif. Our, our Dallas guy. He's obviously um, got an awesome track record in the, in the UFC with the guys he's brought up through Florida. So, um, yeah, it sucks not having your lead corner man, but it's something a lot of fighters have had to work through. 
you know, with COVID and the whole pandemic era. So I, I don't think that's that big of a deal. I just, I think the bottom line, Wonder Boy's just levels above him on striking in the striking department right now. So um, for Wonder Boy, Wonder Boy's kind of became another one of these guys, like we talk about, you know, Alistair Overeem, guys like that, that, you know, he's 37 years old now. And with this dominant victory, it's like he's he's still relevant. So and still commands big fights. You know, you have guys, some of the biggest names in the sport calling him out. Like we've seen Jorge Masvidal has been calling him out for the last year. So for you, where do you think Wonder Boy goes from here? I'm 100% down for NMF versus BMF. Like, give me the Jorge Masvidal fight. I, I think that's perfect. Like, that was fun in 2017. It's still fun. Like, it's a, it was a good fight. Like, I'm... I could get excited for that again. So I'm I want Wonder Boy against Jorge Masvidal. I think it's a great fight. Yeah, totally. I, I was there live, Madison Square Garden back then. Um yeah, this is a fight that I think Jorge, who since that fight has became obviously one of the biggest superstars in the sport, has been wanting to get back. That was kind of like his turning point fight where it's like, hey, you know, I'm done point fighting these guys. We're gonna try to finish dudes. And I think he sees Wonder Boy as one of these just, you know, Wonder Boy is just special. He's a special fighter, one of the best, you know, strikers that has ever fought in the UFC. So I think Jorge wants that one back. And I think it it makes sense right now in that division. You know, I think they're four and five maybe or something like that. So, I mean, matchup wise, it makes sense. You know, it's a big fight. It'd be a big payday for both guys, especially Wonder Boy, who hasn't got the biggest paydays maybe throughout his career um so yeah i'm 100 percent down and i i think that's your number one contender fight between those two guys i really do um so yeah awesome for wonder boy wonder boy looked spectacular and he's just another guy he keeps changing his style up a little bit evolving reinventing himself and coming back stronger so um all right for jeff neal obviously tough loss he got battered in this fight, um, where do you think Je- Jeff Neal goes from here? Yeah, I'd like to see him fight the loser of a fight that just got booked, uh, Michael Chiesa against uh, Neil Magny. I think um, whoever ends up losing that fight is going to be kind of in a similar position in their career to where Jeff Neal is. Um, and I just think that's a perfect matchup. And I, I'd like to see Jeff fight either uh, Neil or Michael Chiesa. Okay, cool. I had Vicente Luque. Um, I just Great think stylistically fight. that's a crazy war fight. Those guys are going to be ranked probably right about the same after last week. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I, I love that Chiesa, Michael, or uh, Neil Magny fight. That's a freaking awesome fight. And that's on that's on the Fight Island cards. I'm not sure which one. But um, yeah, that'll be an awesome fight. All right. So for Wonder Boy, where does he fall in your top five at welterweight right now? So I actually have him third. I was really impressed by this. I I I, okay. I think um, Usman is the clear number one, and Burns is the clear number two. But then I had Wonder Boy right there. I mean, I was I thought nobody's ever done this to Jeff Neal. Um, so I had Wonder Boy there, and then I had Jorge Masvidal following Wonder Boy, and then I had Colby Covington. So. Um, I think those three are really, really close, but that's kind of how I, I had it shaken out. Yeah, I mean, for Jeff Neal, there was a big step up in competition. He's never fought anyone like Wonder Boy 
ever. Um, for me, I, I still have Usman number one, Burns number two. I have Colby at number three. Um, Which is a fair you know, ranking. That's just where I think. I, I think that yeah, that's those where I three think are so in. close. Yeah, they're they're interchangeable. And, you know, I, I think Jorge could go either way. He could have kind of the peaceful, respectful buildup and fight Wonder Boy or... We could have chaos, and we could just have shit talking and and drama with him and Colby. So I, I think he's in a spot where he's going to kind of pick which one's going to be next, and um, I would expect that to be fairly quick. You know, I, I think you see that in February or March, Jorge's either fighting Colby or Wonder Boy. Um, I've heard, which ones? Which fight would you be more interested in, the Jorge Colby fight or the Jorge Wonder Boy fight? Jorge Colby, that's a better. That's a better buildup. Yeah, one hundred percent. All right, but I mean, Wonder Boy is right there. Like I said, I you know I think he's one fight away from a title crack again. So very very impressive for Wonder Boy. Um, any other fights on that card you want to talk about? Um, I just want to talk about. I mean, Jose Aldo has looked so good at one thirty five, and this was just another example of that. Like, I mean, he he beat that kid up. Um, you know, Cheeto Vera and Cheeto is a good fighter. Um, I don't know. I, I was really, really impressed by that. Yeah. It just goes I think one thirty five is so crazy right now. Uh, that's to me, that's probably your best division, either that or lightweight, but, um, yeah, another great performance from, uh, Jose Aldo there. All right. This is our end of the year awards. This is the second annual end of the year awards. So, um, 2020, you know, in in my opinion, the UFC and MMA as a whole made the best of it. You know, they were kind of the leader when it came to sports on, you know, getting back to playing sports and getting back to competing. So in a crazy, one of the craziest years, the craziest year since, you know, in my lifetime, I think the UFC, MMA, fighting combat sports as a whole did a fantastic job in making the best of it and bringing us just so many memorable cards, so many memorable fights, and so many memorable moments. So um, with that said, Billy, let's get into our awards. Um, all right, so what was your favorite promotion outside of the UFC in 2020? I mean, it has to be the thriller on Triller, right? It has to be Mike Tyson. Like, that was so much fun. That whole night was so much fun. It was well presented. It was something different, like... I don't know. Like, if you want to talk about my favorite, like, that's it. Like, that was, I really enjoyed that. Is that your official apology to Mike Tyson for shitting all over the car the week before? I apologize on the show, on recording. Don't yeah. even bring that in here. All right, good. Iron, Iron Mike was mad at you. Um, uh, for me as a whole, I, I, I think it's Bellator. Outside of the UFC, uh, Bellator has a lot of good shit going on. And with the cuts that you and I both are think are coming up, their roster is just going to keep improving. They've it's weird. They've got kind of this, you know, young gun homegrown roster that they've built. Then they have this kind of champion level. That's, you know, fighters that have been around everywhere. And then they have the, the old man roster that they keep building and making fun. So, I mean, yeah, like the young guys, you got, Pico, James Gallagher, um, Nimkov, the guy that Billy's super high on. He loves 
all things Russian MMA. Um, AJ McKee, that's kind of your young group. Then you've got the champions that have fought in the UFC. They fought, you know, former Dream champions and Musasi and kind of all over, you know, Cyborg, Bader, Lima, Musasi. And then guys like Rumble Johnson, Yoel Romero, probably Showtime Pettis going to join his brother over there. Um, I just think they have a lot of good things going on. And they kind of get shit on for being, you know, like a knockoff version of the UFC. But the reality is Scott Coker's built a pretty damn good roster. And I, I think they're going to have a lot of fun fights in 2021. So that was that was my promotion. I, I think they kind of fly under the radar, but they're set up for a great year next year. For sure. Um, I don't disagree. Yeah. So um, Billy's one of Billy's favorite things to do here is talk about prospects. So let's roll on to uh, prospect of the year, Billy. So this is one of Billy's stipulations. Uh, a fighter under 25 years old who has had fewer than five or, fights with a major promotion. The oh, or. So I read that wrong. I fucked that one up. Or has had fewer than five fights with a major organization. All right. Well, I'm I'm going with Bryce Mitchell. I mean, Thug Nasty, four and zero in the UFC. He's 26 years old. Um, he's in the top 15 now. I think he's kind of shed the prospect label. Like this will be the last time I talk about him as a like a prospect. I mean, two decisive wins over Andre Feely and Charles Rosa in 2020. Um, a guy who I think kind of put the featherweight division on notice that he's not just the camo shorts guy. Like his jujitsu is really that good. His striking has certainly improved. Um, I, I expect big things out of Bryce Mitchell. Yeah. He's not just a tangle his nutsack and a drill guy. He's like the redneck Arkansas version of Khabib. So yeah, that, that dude is very, very impressive. Um, I think he's got an injury right now. He'll be back in 2021, so definitely keep an eye out for him. Um, mine is our guy, Cyril Gane. Um, I think he's only got four fights, or three three or four fights in the UFC, but he's now 7-0, six finishes, um, just viciously knocked out a former champion in Junior Dos Santos. Um, still very, very green. You know, very green. It, he reminds me a lot of uh, Francis Ngannou, who I believe is actually one of his training partners, but he's got... Probably the second best body in the heavyweight division. The dude looks like a freaking French goddess. And um, he's just, he's an animal. He's going to be a lot of trouble for a lot of these heavyweights. And he's young, which is very, very important in the heavyweight division. This heavyweight division is aging out. You know, your favorite heavyweight fighters are 35, 36, 37, going to 40. And this dude's just getting started. So I, I think this could be a household name in the heavyweight division for the next 10 years. So definitely keep an eye out on this guy in 2021. Um, all right, Billy, this is where you're going to thrive. What's your favorite submission of the year? I went with uh, Aljamain Sterling submitting Corey Sanhagen. I think just like the buildup for that fight, it was considered a definitive number one contender fight at bantamweight. Um, the speed with which he just took the back and got the submission, um, that for me was submission of the year. I mean, it just the stakes, the kind of how slick Aljo was with it. I, I was so impressed by that. Yeah, for me, I went with Khabib. I know it's not the flashiest or most exciting you know, submission we saw all year, but it's just like the ease 
that once he hit the ground with Justin Gaethje and just worked through the transitions and got to that triangle choke, um, it was just effortless. And it just shows you like what, how big the skill difference is between Justin Gaethje, who you and I think is one of the probably toughest outs on the planet at lightweight. And Khabib just absolutely ripped through him and made him look like an amateur. Um, and that's one of the smoothest just – a, B, C, D, working through your transitions to finish that I've seen and with the stakes of that fight, too. I mean, his legacy is on the line. His father had just died. You know, he's contemplating retirement. All Everything, all that weighed on his shoulder and for him to just go out there and perform and solidify himself as one of the best fighters, you know, of his generation of all time as a lightweight was huge to me. Uh, I think that was um, a big statement from Khabib. So, uh, Billy, let's move to knockout of the year. What was your yeah, favorite knockout I'm, of the year? I'm actually glad we waited until today to do this because my pick is from this past weekend. Kevin Holland knocking out Jacare. Uh That, yeah. to me, is... I'm it, down with that. That's one of the most impressive knockouts we've seen this year. When you think about the stakes, when you think about... That's Kevin Holland, I believe. I believe it's his fifth win in the UFC this year. Um just all the circumstances surrounding that. I mean, that's my knockout of the year. I mean, off his butt just puts, you know, a guy who was at one point probably the best middleweight in the world and Kevin Holland put his lights out from his butt. I mean, that's pretty impressive. And then gets on the mic and calls out our guy comes out to fight seven days from that, from that night. Uh, love Kevin Holland. Got to get him on the show. All right. For me, it was the guy that, Kevin Holland absolutely dispatched of earlier this year. Uh, Joaquin Buckley. Um, in my mind, I think that's the greatest whew, shit. Top five greatest knockouts of all time. 100% the greatest knockout of this year. 100% probably the most athletic knockout I've ever seen in my life. Um, so that was my number one. That went viral. Obviously, we've watched that a thousand times. Um, I had two runners, runner-ups, uh, both from the 135-pound weight class. Uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley's crazy one-punch knockout of Eddie Wineland. I think that's a fantastic knockout. And then uh, Cody Nolove with the walk-off knockout of Rafaela Sunsau. Uh That was an awesome knockout, too. But all in all, like we said, 2020 delivered. I mean, there's so many great memories, so many knockouts, so many finishes. Um, so, yeah, but that was my top one. Um, all right, this is a, a new category. We've got the Still Got It Award. All right, so the Still Got It Award is a fighter who's over 35 years old or has had more than 15 fights with a major organization. Who is your Still Got It Award candidate? For me, it's Glover Teixeira, uh, 41 years old, still beating top five light heavyweights in his in his prime uh, in their prime on the reg. Uh, he went 2-0 in 2020, beat Anthony Smith and Tiago Santos. He's the clear number one contender at 2020. Uh, he has a five-fight win streak dating back to 2019. I mean, that guy still got it. I mean, he's 41 years old. He still got it. Yeah, um, I totally agree with that one. That's a good one. Um, mine's Alistair Overeem. Uh, Alistair Overeem is now 40 years old, 66 total MMA fights that date back to 1999. When Billy and I were in, what, third grade? Um, 
He's won four of his last five, currently sits at number five in the heavyweight division. Like I said earlier, is, you know, at all times, one to two fights away from another title shot. Um, this is a guy that I believe has got three titles, three or four different titles in different organizations, and he's never had that UFC strap. I, I think 2021 could be a year you see Alistair Overeem make one last run towards the towards that title. Um, I also don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the UFC books him with John Jones, you know, as kind of a tune-up fight before John Jones gets a title fight. And um, yeah, so I, for me, Alistair Overeem still doing the thing and looking really, really good doing it. So that's my still got it award. Um, all right, Billy, newcomer of the year. For me, it's Yuri Prohaska uh, in the UFC. I mean, a guy who we've talked about for a while, who's been making a lot of noise in Japan. But, I mean, super exciting fight uh, where he knocked out Volkan Ozdemir. Uh, he's now booked against Dominic Reyes in February. I think if he wins that fight, like, he's definitely in line to get a light heavyweight title shot. Um but just a guy who kind of, in my opinion, injected a little bit of life into this light heavyweight division. I mean, very exciting fighting style. think, you know, over the next few fights, he's really going to endear himself to the UFC faithful. For sure. Um, mine was Joaquin Buckley again. Uh, a guy, you know, who had a short career in Bellator, then came up on the Dana White Contender Series. Uh, debuts on short notice against Kevin Holland, who's, you know, had one of the best years in UFC history, um, gets TKO'd by Kevin Holland in a really fun fight. That was a fun, crazy fight with Kevin Holland's talking all kinds of crazy shit. Uh, Buckley's throwing bombs, trying to KO him. Um, he follows up that Kevin Holland fight with, like I said, the probably top five knockout in, in MMA history period against, uh, Impa Kasang, Kasang and I, uh, I didn't butcher that one, Billy. Look at that. And then he comes back and absolutely viciously KOs undefeated prospect, another guy off the contender series, Jordan Wright. Um, this guy is going to get himself a big fight in 2021. So he's a guy to look out for. I, I compare him to like, he's like the Mike Tyson of MMA. He's just an absolutely shredded brick shithouse that comes in just looking to KO you. And the dude's getting better and better every fight. So that's a guy to look out for for me. Um all right, Billy, rising star of the year. So which fighter stock rose most in 2020? For me, it's Jan Blahovich. I mean, this is a guy who at the start of 2020, if you told me that we would be here in December and Jan Blahovich would be our light heavyweight champion, I would told you I would have told you you're crazy, right? I mean, it's a guy who was considered a nice fighter with decent power um, prior to 2020. He gets a fight with Corey Anderson. We both picked Corey Anderson to win that fight. We both thought Corey Anderson was next for John Jones. Jan Blahovich says, no, thank you, knocks him out. He fights Dominic Reyes. We both picked Dominic Reyes. And Jan knocks him out again. I mean, this is a guy who was considered, like I said, a nice fighter with nice power who is now the best light heavyweight on the planet and the UFC champion. That's my rising star 2020, Jan Blahovich, Polish power. Yeah, and set himself up with one of the biggest stars in the UFC, you know, to, to kick off probably 2021. I mean, sometime in the first quarter, you're probably going to see that fight between him and Izzy. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, 
My two, I had the two middleweights, uh, Kamzat Shemaev and Kevin Holland. I think these are two guys that, you know, this time last year, you could have said Kamzat Shemaev, and I I would have said, who? Like, I would have had no idea who You'd this guy is. You'd be laughing talking about Ex- Billy's hardcore minute. Yeah, and this dude explodes on the scene, is just starching everyone, saying he's going to smash everyone. He wants to fight every week. And then Kevin Holland, you know, is, is kind of the same guy. And both of these guys have came from, you know, relatively nothing. You know, you and I weren't talking about them a year ago. To You know, they're in the top ten in the division. And they're going to have, you know, Kamzat's fighting freaking Leon Edwards, who you and I thought was the number one contender six months ago. And then Kevin Holland is going to fight someone big, too. So it's just like... Yeah, th- this is crazy. And Kamzat can move back and forth between both divisions. Uh, Kevin Holland, I think he'll get a, a big fight you know, in his next fight. So those two guys, to me, made the biggest splash um, just because they were so active. You know, Kamzat had that, what, he had turned around in 21 days, and then Kevin Holland fought five times uh, this year. So those are my two rising stars of the year, and I think those two guys are going to have a huge 2021. Um all right, so Billy, for you, who is your comeback fighter of the year? For me, it's Robert Whitaker. I mean, he got knocked out by Israel Adesanya in his home country in front of a stadium of people. He lost his belt, and he comes back in 2020. He beats Darren Till and Jared Cannonier. He seems like to, he seems to be the clear number one guy at 185, and um, you know, I I think that's just an unbelievable comeback for him to come back after getting knocked out so brutally win two fights against top contenders and be right back in line to reclaim his belt. Yeah, I agree. Um, I skipped this one. Obviously I fucked that one up, but um, yeah, I'll agree with you. Robert Whitaker is one of my favorite fighters. Um, Like you said, to get knocked out of, to get knocked out in front of his home country in front of 55,000 people and just embarrassed. And then to come back and put on those performances he did and make himself, in my mind, he's the undeniable number one contender um, for Izzy at that weight class. I don't, I don't think he's pushing it because I don't, I don't know if he's ready to have all that again. You know, I think he wants one more fight before he goes after that. But yeah, that's still a young guy. You know, it's a guy that's what twenty nine years old, and he's done so much in the sport and in his career. Um, he's got a lot left to give and Robert Whitaker is very very dangerous at 185 so definitely keep an eye out for him uh Billy what was your favorite event this year UFC 249 I mean if you remember this was right in the in the beginning of the pandemic um it was the first card that I think the media and the like fans really could get behind and feel like it was safe um and it was just a banger of an event I mean on the prelims, you have Luke against Price 2. You have Bryce Mitchell against Charles Rosa. You have Cowboy Cerrone against Anthony Pettis. Then on the main card, you have Calvin Qatar against Jeremy Stevens. You have Francis Ngannou KOing uh, Jarzinho Rosenstreich with his first punch. You have Henry Cejudo against Dom Cruz. Uh, and then you have the epic Tony-Justin matchup at the top of the card. I mean, it was just, it was a great fight top to bottom. It was a situation where we had not watched sports in weeks, and it was just fun to get something back, and it was just a super important card to kind of reset the year for MMA. 
Yeah, I agree. That that in my mind was the a most important and one of my favorite cards. Um, I gave a second one. I thought it was UFC two five one. Obviously, George Masvidal stepping in on short notice to save the card and fight Kamaru Usman um, when Gilbert Burns was out. Um, ended up, I think, being the best selling pay per view of twenty twenty at one point three million buys. Um, you had that fight at the main main event. Obviously, was not a in my mind, was not a full 100% George Masvidal, which kind of sucked, but um, the card below is crazy. I remember you and I texting, like, hey, we still have Masvidal and Usman after this. Like, it was like a full night of just absolute bangers from start to finish. You had Max Volkanovsky, too. You had Piotr Jan won the title uh, off of Jose Aldo. Thug Rose was back in action, had a crazy fight of the night win against uh, Jessica Andrade to avenge her loss when she got slammed on her head in Brazil. Your guy, Yuri Prohaska, made his UFC debut, KO'd Volkan Ozdemir. Um, yeah, just a great card, great action fights all across the card, but uh, that's one I'll remember. So, Billy, who is your 2020 fighter of the year? For me, my 2020 fighter of the year is Israel Adesanya. I mean, he beat Yoel Romero. He demolished Paulo Costa in something that I think will be on his highlight reel for the rest of his career. Um, he booked his 205 title shot against Jan Blahovic. He signed a endorsement deal with Puma that is the first of its kind for an athlete like Israel Adesanya. I mean, I feel like we finally saw him really break out this year. He really felt like a star to me. He felt like the biggest fighter in the UFC. That's my fighter of 2020. I I agree uh, with the Israel thing. I, I think this year, if the Yoel Romero fight went slightly different, I think he's your – he may be on the same level as like Conor and Khabib. You know, if he just went in there, had a crazy war and starts Yoel Romero – but I think that's a, that lingers on him a little bit. So um, I think, although I think he's on his on the way to being your next biggest MMA global superstar, uh, I went with Davidson Figueredo. Uh, three title fights, three victories by finish. Um, had that epic war with Moreno a couple weeks ago. Uh, fight of the year contender. Um, put the flyweights on the map. You know, a year ago. We were talking, everyone's calling for, hey, we don't need flyweights anymore. Let's get rid of the flyweights. No one watches this shit. Henry Cejudo, you know, moved up and wasn't there anymore. And now you and I are jacked up about talking about flyweights again. You know, it's a relevant division again. And I think a lot of that is from our guy, the God of War. So uh, I'm going to give that to him. You know, this year, uh, you know, I agree. Israel had an incredible year and probably some higher profile fights, obviously, but uh, the body of work and the title defenses and title victories, I'm going to go with Figueredo. Uh, all right, Billy, you and I are definitely going to be in agreement on, agreement on this fight. So uh, your fight of the year. It's Wiley Zhang against 100%. Joanna Junjacek. And if you don't yeah. pick that as fight of the year, like I'm willing to fight you. Any MMA <laughs> media member, if you do not pick this as your fight of the year, this is the best fight of the year. It was the most – like. It was the most technical brawl I've ever seen. It's yeah. for the title, the two clear top straw weights in the world. I mean, it was so good that they canceled all other strawweight titles fights for the rest of the year because Joanna against Wiley, nothing can measure up to it. Like, 
it is that good of a fight. It is tr- a truly epic battle between two women who are at the top of the game. I mean, just they are the two best fighters in their division, and they left it all on the line. They left it all in the cage, and I can't wait to see the rematch. All right. Take it easy. Don't forget about my, my, my girl, Doug Rose, Billy. But anyway, uh, Tapology has this as number 24 all time. I mean, what what are you doing at Tapology? Come on. 24 of all time. This is hands down a top three fight of all time, regardless of gender. Uh, this is the best female fight I've ever seen in my life. What did I say? When best. we when we covered this, I think I said it's the best yeah. fight to ever happen in the UFC under 145 pounds. And I think it's the best. You can make an argument. It's the best title fight ever, period. I mean, this, this is five rounds of absolute technical brilliance the fastest hardest pace you're ever going to see over a five-round title fight those ladies left everything out there yoana is an absolute savage Wailing zhang is a freaking animal and has just crazy power for that weight class that's the best fight that that i saw this year period and there was a there was a lot of good fights there was a ton of good fights dan but hooker that against one, justin Por- or dustin poirier was an incredible fight <laughs> Dan Incredible Hooker versus fight. Paul Felder. Dan Hooker needs to get an honorable honorable mention for being a fucking animal. He has he has two of the top three fight fights of the year in my book. Tony um, against Justin, amazing fight. Yeah, fuck Brandon Marino and God of War, awesome fight, amazing. Um, but n- none of them none of them touched this. This was just unbelievable, once in a lifetime stuff. This is. This is one of those fights, like, every time I watch it, I feel the same as I did the first time I watched it. It's like, you know what's going to happen, but the whole time... I've watched it, like, six times. The whole time, you're on the edge of your seat just watching these girls. Like, holy shit, this is crazy. This is incredible. So, yeah, that's hands down my number one fight of the year. after I watch that fight. Like, that's (laughs) that's literally how I feel. Like, I, I, like... There are so few fights that I've ever watched in my life. Probably like I would say hey, speaking of, Fedor speaking of cigarettes and <laughs> can't stop crazy. Joe, um, Joe Schilling. <laughs> but like Crocop Fedor or Henderson against Shogun or Shogun. Yeah. Those like those type of fights. Hagler Hearns Robbie even Law- from a boxing Robbie, perspective. Robbie Lawler, McDonald. Like um, yeah. This this is in that category with those legendary fights. That's the level of just sheer violent brilliance that we saw in the cage that night. Yeah, you're not going to get much better than that. So, yeah, that's we're in agreement there. Uh, so we're going to end our year, Billy, in agreement. And right on Look 60 at minutes, my friend. We're we're just top notch professionals here, but uh, all right. So that's our end of the year recap. 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 Uh, Billy it was a fun year. Twenty twenty, we had a lot of good, good times. Recap. So, <laughs> so twenty twenty, we had a lot of good times, a lot of good fights. Um, looking forward to more of it in twenty twenty one. We're going to keep the interviews rolling. We had a lot of fun bringing on some kind of up and coming fighters, um, some legends. You know, Frank Mir. We're going to try to get John Anik on the show. So we're going to keep them rolling. We're going to keep the content going. Um, 
you know, keep doing what we're doing and I hope everyone enjoys it. Um, so for me, awesome year of fights. Um, can't wait to get into January and get into the fight cards that are already lined up. So for me, Parker's MMA show, epic year. I, I enjoyed it. Billy had a good time. Yeah, I'm just so I'm so thankful for all the people who listen to this show every week, who like us on Facebook, who comment about how annoying I am. Like, I, I, I absolutely love you guys. Like, I'm so happy to be a part of this community, be a part of this fan base, uh, be able to, you know, come with Parker every week and talk about fights and have people care about our opinions. I mean, that's unbelievable. So thank you so much to everyone who makes this show possible. I'm uh, super appreciative of it. And special shout out for producer Joe. That guy works hard. The man, Joe, couldn't do it without you. So, uh, all right, Parker's MMA Show signing off for 2020. Wild year, but we have a crazy January lined up. So me and Billy will be back in action. We'll continue to improve the product, and we'll keep it rolling. So all of our fans out there, Billy, everyone, happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa, Festivus, anything else you guys might celebrate. Hallelujah. Everyone, have a great holiday season, and we'll catch you in January. Billy, until next time, adios. Texas Trees is the premier tree care company in the DFW area. Whether you need basic maintenance or specialized services, when it comes to trees, we've got you covered. Pruning, chipping, bracing, and cabling, even root barriers and disease control, we do it all. And if you aren't sure what you need, we have certified arborists on staff to point you in the right direction. Visit us at NorthTexasTrees.net. That's NorthTexasTrees.net. Thanks for listening to Parker's MMA Show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and visit ParkerKeensMMAShow.Podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes.